0: Old Testament reading for today, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, is from the prophet Isaiah, the 51st chapter, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he has but one when I called him but I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 11th chapter, beginning in the 33rd verse through the 12th chapter, the 8th verse. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. this is the word of the Lord thanks Thanks be be to God the
1: Holy Gospel according to st. Matthew the 16th chapter that he was the Christ. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi, O Silver! Away! So began the 1950s television series The Lone Ranger. And this was always a, a favorite show of mine. Uh, when I watched it in, in the late 60s and 70s already into reruns. The series began in 1949. It went for eight years, although there were only five seasons. So figure that one out. Something I didn't know at the time was, and maybe I had missed it, the first episode Uh, Why is it called the Lone Ranger? I mean, I thought I knew why, but uh, he was supposed to be one of eight Texas Rangers that were lured into an ambush, and he's the only one that survived, although he was gravely wounded, apparently, And the Indian, Tonto, nursed him back to health and so then the two of them, he is the lone Texas Ranger. The Lone Ranger and Tonto then went about doing good and helping people in need, bringing people to justice. But inevitably, at the end of each episode, the one who had received the help from the Lone Ranger would ask, who was that masked man? Right? As he would be riding off And the answer would come back, that was the Lone Ranger. And the one thing I couldn't understand as a kid was how nobody knew who that was. How nobody could figure out who that person was with that little bitty mask around his eyes. I didn't see how it could hide his identity. If I put a mask like that on and stole a cookie, my mother would know who did it. In the Gospels, We see that Jesus wears no mask, and yet people have a hard time, even the disciples have a hard time understanding who Jesus is. And Matthew records that Jesus and his disciples uh, are together here, and Jesus asks them, Who do people say that I am? And that is a question that is relevant and has been asked for now 2,000 plus years. It'll continue to be asked. Who is Jesus? And if you ask random people of course you're going to get lots of different answers. Some people will say that Jesus was a really good person who lived a long time ago. Others will say he was a miracle worker, he was a healer, Some will say he was a prophet speaking God's word. Some will say that he was a good moral teacher who taught a lot of things that we should pay attention to. Others will say he's a myth, never really existed, he's a legend, created out of whole cloth, that he never was a real historical person, but regardless of that we should pay attention to what he taught which doesn't quite make sense to me. Some will say he was someone who went around loving people and others will say they have no idea who Jesus was. So Jesus takes the question to his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples answer with what people have been saying about Jesus, that he's John the Baptist or he's Elijah or he's Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. That's interesting to recognize just what the people are saying about Jesus. John the Baptist we know was a a great prophet that people went out and listened to. He preached repentance, right? Turning to God, the kingdom of God is near. Herod put him to death. Maybe it's John the Baptist back from the dead, Herod himself thought that, you'll remember, thought that uh, Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Elijah, Jeremiah, the great prophets of God it's not a a bad uh, guess (laughs) Uh, anybody would be proud to be thought of as one of those people or think about Elijah on on Mount Carmel there with the prophets of Baal and this great test. Who is really God, Baal or Yahweh? Let's find out. Assemble everybody fire from heaven falls from Yahweh Yahweh is God. Jeremiah preaches God's judgment as Jesus does, John the Baptist does God's deliverance for Israel, even through the uh, Babylonian captivity, Jesus preaches similar things. So these choices, these descriptions all uh, tell us that the people believed that Jesus was just no ordinary man because of the signs, the wonders that he was doing among them. And to be sure, Jesus does also preach repentance in preparation for the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus warns of God's impending judgment like Jeremiah did. But the understanding of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth as a a good person, a moral teacher, even a teacher sent by God, a great miracle worker, even one of the prophets of old come back from the dead, None of these hit the mark. Maybe you've read uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, a little booklet like this. Uh, He makes some good arguments about things. Uh, C.S. Lewis was not a Christian for many years, but uh, as he would describe it, the hounds of heaven were after him. And he finally became a Christian. And uh, you know that he has done uh, many wonderful Christian works, writings. Uh, but in this book here, Mere Christianity, Lewis argues that Jesus can't be a good moral teacher. You can't call him that. His argument is that Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, or he is a lunatic, or he's Lord, the Son of God. Lewis writes it this way, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing, Lewis says, that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he is, was, and is God. great moral teacher, the delusional man who goes around doing good, a prophet, a miracle worker, none of these titles even comes close to describing who Jesus is. And none of these will be of any value to the sinner who needs saving from the curse of the fall, from the wages of sin which is eternal death and separation from God because when God's law breaks through our hearts, our hard-heartedness and convicts us of our sin, when we cry out for mercy to God in heaven, there's no comfort in the moral teacher who says try harder you can do it, just change these few things in your life and and you'll see that the pathway to righteousness is a lot smoother. There's no hope for us in a man who gives advice about how to turn your life around. We don't need a myth or a legend or John the Baptist or one of the prophets or any good person who lived a long time ago, even one who was loving to the people. None of these are going to be any help to us, any comfort to us, when our sin piles up so that it chokes us when we come to a place where we say there is no way out of this except judgment because I recognize my sin there's no way out when the day comes like a thief in the night and God comes to judge the world when Christ comes back then our only hope is to flee to God's infinite mercy seeking and imploring His grace and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then we need Jesus. We need Him to be just who He is. We need Him to be the Son of God, sent to be the expiation for our sins, the atonement. When our eternity, one of life or one of death, hangs in the balance, we need Jesus to be the Lamb of God the sacrifice who shed his blood to wash us clean from our sins God says the soul that sins it shall die and then he sends someone his son to take that sin on himself and to die that death that should be yours and mine Thank God that Jesus isn't just a wise man or a great moral teacher. And so Jesus then turns this all-important question to his disciples, to the twelve who have been with him now for several years, who do you say that I am? And good old Peter steps right up to the plate and says, and he usually puts his foot in his mouth, but here he keeps him firmly on the floor, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have to understand what what, uh, that means, that that Peter called him the Christ. Christus in the Greek, the Hebrew, of course, is Messiah, but both of them are translated as the Anointed One. Christ and Messiah both mean God's anointed one, the one that he anointed to do this work of salvation. We see that anointing in his baptism in the river Jordan. And there are other people in the Old Testament who are anointed. Right? There are prophets who are anointed. There are priests who are anointed. And there are kings who are anointed. God tells the people to anoint those three offices. And Jesus, of course, did come to be our prophet, to be the great prophet, the one who is greater than Moses. Moses says God will raise up for for you, from one among you, a prophet like me. And that's Jesus that comes to lead the people out of slavery to sin, into the promised land. He is the prophet, he is the one who brings God's word, God's word of uh, to repent, God's word of grace that God is making a way through Christ Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life Jesus is the great prophet. Words of love and forgiveness and truth and life. And he came to be our priest. The one who would stand in the gap between us and judgment. And as Moses did. Uh, one time Moses had to plead with God, don't destroy the people. God wanted to destroy all of them and, and use Moses as the forebear. And Moses stands in the way and says, God don't do it. And Jesus acts as our priest, the one who, who prays for us, the one who offers the sacrifice, who is the sacrifice, who brings his own blood into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for our sin. He lays down his life. The Lamb of God laying down his life for the wayward sheep. And because he obeyed the will of the Father, because he gave his life as a ransom for many, God elevates him. God gives him all authority, right? Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the King He is anointed to be our King and Lord of all. And so because Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, it is right that he is called the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' responds in an interesting way, he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, and Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Isn't that interesting? Well, I would think that from, with all the miracles that Peter saw, walking on the water, Jesus reaching out, grabbing him, all of the things that Peter saw, raising people from the dead, that would be enough for Peter to say, He is the Son of God. Jesus says... That faith that you have in me, that understanding of me that says that you believe that I am the Son of God, that came from outside of you. Thank God that that comes from outside of us. That faith is given to us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see that here in Jesus' words. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He says, my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. The knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is doesn't come from other people. It doesn't come from our own musings and our minds and our reasoning piecing together the truth. It's not from ourselves. Peter's confession doesn't come out because he has sorted out Lewis's trilemma, it's called, his dilemma. He's either this, this, or this. Let's see. must be this. It's not even because of the healings and things like that. Jesus doesn't hide behind a mask to keep his identity hidden. But understanding who Jesus is, recognizing that he is the Son of God and the Christ, doesn't come from anywhere but the Father, from the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Jesus is the one who gives that faith. God the Father revealed to Peter and the others who Jesus is, and God the Father has done the same for you and for me. He is the one who has given you the faith to believe. And this confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God, this Confession is what Jesus is going to build his church on. And not just the confession, but the fact that he is the Christ. That he is prophet, priest, and king for us. It is built on Christ. And we confess that. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, not, being able, not be able to stand up against it, then his church is marching against the gates of hell. Gates are not offensive. Gates are defensive, right? They're made to keep the enemy out. The gates of hell are not going to keep his church, the proclamation of the gospel, out. The confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, as the Son of God who laid down His life for us. This is enough to tear down the gates of hell so that they cannot keep us in, keep us who are sinners. We should be in hell. The confession of Jesus Christ tears down those gates. And we are set free. Here this morning, on this 27th of August, 2,000 years later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we receive the fruits of His anointed work. We hear the proclamation from God that our sins are forgiven. And we believe it. We receive the benefits of His sacrificial death, His resurrection, as He gives to us this day His own body and blood in the Eucharistic meal. And together we sing our praises to Jesus, our King. We worship Him as our Lord and our Savior forever. We are the church. We are built on the rock on Christ, on the Son of the living God, and on the confession of who He is for us and for the world. To God be the glory. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.